everybody, this is Keach Rainwater on the Designated Drummer Podcast, and this week I have a very special guest with me. I've been, I've been wanting to have this guy on here forever, Eric Darkin. How are you doing, Eric? I'm great. How are you? He is the number one Nashville set, probably everywhere, but number one Nashville session percussionist on all the records that you hear, and I think that is so fascinating well, to me. Thank you. Thank you. It's um, fun. Been a been a fun a fun ride. So one of the first questions I have uh, to ask you that it just occupies my brain is, you obviously can play drums. You know, I, I started sit playing down drums. In a kit yep. and play I started and that. playing. That's what I started playing. I played a drum. I started playing drums when I was ten. Yeah. So I imagine you know you're the number one call percussionist. You can obviously play drums like yep. just a regular drum kit. You're probably sure. a killer drummer. But what what avenue? What what made you change the avenue from like drum kit player to percussion? Was it just a need thing, or was it just you were better at that? I just felt, I mean, for years I played drum set. I played in jazz bands, played in high school, played in rock bands. And then when I got to college, and I started dabbling a little bit in like timpani and orchestra percussion in high school. Kind of was forced to by nature, and the, and the teachers in high school were like, hey, you know, part of the education of being in band was you need to learn to play some timpani, you need to learn to play some bells and some mallets. And so I was sort of introduced to that in mid high school now what year would that have been 11th 12th grade what year of what year oh gosh i graduated in in i'm making you too yeah you are you're making me think (laughs) uh so it would have been like in the 80s like early like 79 80 okay yeah um so around there i started i had a really really great band instructor in i went to school in st louis for a few years and he was awesome and um very encouraging and encouraged me to be more well-rounded. Yeah. So then I start playing some timpani. I start playing orchestral percussion as well as drum sets. So I was doing jazz band, rock band, and percussion. Continued that in college, and uh, you know, still doing both. Still doing. Was jazz. it still in uh, in? I was in North Carolina. I went to oh, a school in Brev- in Brevard. Uh, it's called Brevard College, and so that was a two-year school at the time. And so there I was doing jazz band, I was playing in rock bands. As a percussionist? As a drummer. Oh, as a drummer, okay. But then, you know, part of the courses I was playing in concert band and orchestra. Part Mm -hmm. of the college scene was they had an orchestra and they would have a concert band. And so you'd kind of put on multiple hats. You'd do jazz band one day and the next day you're doing concert band playing timpani. And so I'm kind of, I'm being introduced to all these little, you know, Various so the aspects. instrumentation on the concert band wouldn't have had a drum kit there. Like, no, they absolutely would have just had not. like timpanis and snares. Timpani, and concert snare, probably know, the vibraphone. All the, the vibes, yeah, marimbas vibes, and marimba, all the you know the traditional orchestral percussion. So, you know, I was getting a really well-rounded education in the yeah. percussion drum set world. I was taking drum set lessons. I was studying with a gentleman that was the principal percussionist for the Asheville Symphony. Yeah. And so every day I'm kind of waking up getting a really good mix and match of, of education. I then transferred out to Oral Roberts University, which was out in Tulsa. Okay. And when I got out there, uh, again, I was doing a lot of drum set, doing a lot of you know orchestral percussion. I studied with the percussionist from the Tulsa Philharmonic. And I would play in the symphony at times. I would, he would pull me in to play as an extra, extra member of the percussion section. Yeah. And it was there that I also got the call to be on Oral Roberts, who's the evangelist. His son had a TV show five days a week. 
and the percussion chair opened up and I got a call to play for that. So all of a sudden, five days a week, live TV, I'm playing. Basically, that's my gig. I'm doing percussion. Congas, mallets, timpani, you know. Every day waking up, seven o'clock call time, nine o'clock show time, boom, you gotta, I gotta have it wow. together in the percussion chair. And that was sort of when I began to kind of go, well, you know, the percussion thing is, you know, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I started to veer more away from drum set. You know, Just because the opportunities the were opportunity there, right? was The opportunities there, yeah. were and it was right like, there in front of you. Yeah, and, you know, and I, I, yeah. I thought I was a pretty good drummer, but I don't, you know, at that time, you know, we had talked about, uh, my buddy Tommy Harden, who lives yeah. in Nashville, he was at school there, and he was playing drum set, and he's an incredible drummer. And I was like, you know, he's great, and there were some other drummers there, and it's like I didn't quite see myself at the level that they were at. I was good, but I was not at that, hey, can I really make this as a career? And all of a sudden, the percussion thing just really came natural to me, and I really dove into it, you know, feet first. And, wow. and it was very intriguing and... And so that was sort of the beginning. That would have been back in uh, 84. 84. 84. So about 84, 85, I really started to go, okay, well, this is going to be a cool thing. And I, but I still played some drum set, but I wasn't as focused on it as I was learning as much as I could about percussion. Did you feel like you had a little bit of a passion for playing drums, or was it just not there? I, I mean, oh, drums I, like drum kit. I, it just sort of left. I just sort of became more, you know, it, it's sort of like, I always refer everything, and you'll find this in this, this discussion. I, I love food, and so I, I, I sort of uh, compare what I do to, to, to the food industry and to chefs, because it's sort ah. of like you wake up one day and you're like, oh, I, I, be, I became more interested in being a pastry chef, and all of a sudden you just go, man, I just, I just love making cakes, and I'm a pastry guy. I went yeah. from being a a sous chef to being a pastry chef and that's sort of how it was was I was like you know what I just I love percussion and I can't seem to learn enough about it and so yeah. that was the passion for drum set sort of left and and I just you know yeah dove into the percussion world did you find uh pleasure in playing percussion to a really good drummer let's say Absolutely. like a band where well Tommy was great Tommy was yeah. the drummer Tommy Harden was a drummer and he's, he was great and the whole band was I mean it was a really good band actually and and you know, you were in a situation there where you literally, you would rehearse once or twice, and then the next thing you know, you're on live TV. So you had to think fast, be a decent reader, and keep it t together, you know, wow. so. That's um, really awesome. So then, uh, let's say you uh, were in college, and then you, what, what facilitated your move to Nashville? What started that? I got to the end of um, my time at, at ORU and I graduated and I'm like, well, I gotta, I gotta do something. Should I, should I move? Should I stay in Tulsa? Should I move to LA? Should I move to Nashville? And I actually went to LA and visited my brother at the time was living out there and I kind of hung out there and, and I was uh, a friend of mine, actually the band, uh, the band leader for the ORU show for the TV show, uh, had some connections to some players out there and I actually visited some studios out there and I thought, you know, there's a lot of great players in LA, there's a lot of great players in Nashville. I just thought Nashville was going to be a little easy, possibly easier place to to get involved with yeah. um, in the in the music community. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to make a move up here. And and a buddy and I, um, Brett Teagarden, who still lives here, he's actually an engineer and builds microphones and preamps. He wow. moved up here, and I said, well, I'll 
He's like you a know. little Rupert Neve, huh? He, absolutely. Yeah, he is, actually. And, and, and uh, so we moved here together, and um, he was doing his engineering thing, and I started to just try to get involved in the music community, started playing at clubs and churches and anywhere that I could play, you know, just yeah. like, like we all do. You were know, you we, able to make a living, like, when you first came to Nashville? And I was. You were, I was able were you able to, to just start up? I just started diving in, and it was a, the season, I, I, I mean this, there was a— the opportunity to come here and, and get involved musically, I, I uh, there were not that many percussionists in town, or they were they might have been a little older than me, and so I sort of had a little different perspective of how I played and approached things. And so, um, I've always just tried to do my own thing and try to create my own little sound, so to speak. Yeah, okay. You know, it's like I'm 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 I study and listen to a lot of different players, and what I I tell people is I, I take everything that I learned from so many different people and I put it into a pot and stir it up and that's sort of what you get. Right. And so I, I don't approach thing from a I don't approach music as a Latin percussionist or a classical percussionist. I I take all the elements and put them into a pot, stir it up, and that's that's what you get when yeah. you when you hire me or when I work with somebody. So uh, what would a typical um, let's just say back in the '80s when you were here doing session work yep. and that kind of thing. Um, what would a typical week be like? Would it be like Monday, like every single day, or would it be like a couple of days you know, a week? It or? just varied. There, there were days. Um, it just it varied because there there were days I didn't. There were days and weeks that I literally would go and I wouldn't know what day it was because I was working. You know, I'd be going from different studios, and I was not only working at different studios, but I was working on a lot of different music. I would be doing a gospel record, playing timpani and and orchestral percussion and then i turn around and do a you know a, a country record or a rock record and then i after that i'd go play at a club you know and so you know every and that's what i actually love about what i do is every day is different i mean this afternoon i'm going to be working on a, i'm working on a gospel record next week i'm working on a on a, a orchestra record you know and in wow. between i might be programming for an alternative rock record you know and so, so every day is different yeah, and so now Nashville is well known for its Nashville number system, you know, right. the chart that, sure. you, that, that they've sort of developed. I think it developed here in Nashville, it was, somewhere around yep. Nashville, and it became like the Nashville number system. Now, but doing orchestra stuff, that's to, I would imagine Legit. that's that is a li- totally no number every note. Like, yep. Yeah, and so you had to learn not only, well, in college and all that, you learned how to read, you know, sure. all the normal, you know, your big folded out, sure. and it's like 90, oh, 90 yeah. pages long. Um and as well as the number system, did you did you uh, have to learn that on the fly, or did you have somebody I teach you that? Numbers when? on the fly. The, the you know I I really credit my time. Well, my time at Brevard really taught me about reading music. It was an incredible percussion teacher there, um, Mario Gatano, who I think is retired from playing. But then at ORU. Playing on the TV show forced you to read and get it together so fast. You had to literally sight read twice and get it. So right. my, I just subconsciously learned how to just think fast, work fast, you know. And if you made a mistake, man, you they heard it on, on live TV. Yeah. So you kind of had to go, man, you got to get it together. And you so know? for you, different than just about any other musician – in the whole orchestra is that you have to learn how to read all these different instruments yep. like a clarinet, clarinet player he's just read she's she, probably read she clarinet music clarinet. yeah so you have to read congas and 
and, right. and bells and right. like cymbals and timpanis and all that. You got to look at that and go, okay, what am I on today? Well, and timpanis and bass cleft, and the mallets are in treble cleft, and then that's you, a oh lot. yeah, yeah, you've got to you, yeah, you got to jump around. Oh, you got to jump like, around, and you're you know, um, you think fast, um, be aware. I always tell people be aware of of what's you know. So that and again, that comes back to what we learned back at at ORU, and Tommy would Tommy Harden would tell you the same thing. He's like, yeah, yeah and you had to you had to have it together. Yeah, and he he told me in the podcast that uh, that he uh, his skill his main skill was transfer was was writing all the music for these yeah. orchestras and yep. stuff and going yep. from uh, their scribbles to actually making it like legible yep. make, make copies yep. for it and stuff right. like he had his triangle thing sure sure his little sure. measure um, but that, that I was fascinating I never knew that about him right and that's what a skill I, oh yeah no he's Tommy is an, an amazing I mean. He is a great drummer, but he's an incredible musician. He sings, he plays, he orchestrates. He writes. You know, he writes. Composes, yeah, he's yeah. one of those. I, I call them, you know, he's one of those guys. He does it all, you know. And, he's and, brilliant. Yeah. yeah, he really is. He's, he's an incredible musician, and he's a great drummer, and he's a great singer. And, he, you know. Um, and he's a good guy, too. And he's, he's a, a good, good guy. Hang, that, you know? Gosh, that's even better. I so. think it's funny that when he said he got the gig with when he first got the offer to go with Reba, he to- told him no at first. He's like, oh, no, wow. I, wanna, I just started this session career in Nashville. Right. Why would I? But then right. he ended up going with sure, him. sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. But and and one of my main questions to him was, and I'm sure you've played a lot of live. You've been on some tours. And sure, things, I'm touring like right guys. now. Yep. Yeah. Um, how do you balance uh, a session career as well as a live career? Which I was told in the early days you couldn't do both. You cannot do both. You'll totally bury yourself if right. you go out on the road with somebody and tour, and they try to call you a couple of times and you're not available. They'll stop calling you. Absolutely. I started. You know, I. I'm currently touring with with Jimmy Buffett, and on this, you know, when I'm not working with Jimmy, then I also work with uh, our buddy Mac McAnally, who is Jimmy's music director and and obviously a great songwriter. And he and I go do probably 20, 25 shows a year. So between Jimmy and Mac, I'm I'm gone a good bit. And that was always my concern was, man, I don't know if I want to be gone that long and what if I lose out on sessions. But truth be told, I have really been able to balance. There's some things I miss. There's some sessions I miss. But for the most part, because of our schedule, we're not gone a lot. You know, right. we'll go for like a week at a time. So I can generally... You can overdub too. I can overdub, and I, I take and I have a studio in my house, yeah. and I can and I take Pro Tools with me on on the road. So I, I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting in a hotel room working on tracks, and and, um, or after a sound check, I'm uploading something, or you know. So technology, wow. yeah. I tell people, technology technology has worked in our favor. Right. You know, even with you guys, you know, you can be gone and still be doing things on a bus or, or backstage some somewhere. Yeah. One of the coolest things I remember that you did for us on one of our records was somebody said, either it was a producer or somebody said, hey, uh, they said, hey, Eric, can you create us? A li- we need a little loop here. And I, you would think normally a percussionist, you know, well, yeah, hit the record and I'll just play something. But you actually had the equipment back there and the skills right. and all this. And you just said, yeah, let me let me work on something. And within like, I don't know, five minutes or something, a couple of you you had created a loop sure. that sounded really cool that you could just okay hit record and you, we burned it to right. the track right. and it was the coolest loop. Well, that was back in the era, and it's, we're still doing it these these days. It's developed into quite a quite an art. But um, 
Yeah, I would just, you know, create sounds, create patterns. And, and you have all these uh, samples. I had samples as well and, as yeah. live. I would, at the time, I think back then, I was I was actually recording things through effects. I would have, a, I had a whole effect pedal board that I was creating, you know, sounds and loops and delays and all that. And so we were able to kind of create a very, rather than it being a stock, you know, loop or a stock sample you were yeah. getting me i was able to go hey this is me and this is for your yeah. record this is not a stock sample from somewhere so another question i have along those lines is um you know you've got things like garage band and and uh, uh you know all these pro tools and things like that where people can buy libraries of samples and mm -hmm. things like that on a record let's say what do you do and I know it's you playing, and it's your sound, and all that. Okay, I know you're trying to play as correctly as possible, but do you do anything to make it to where it doesn't sound like they just made a loop? They just got stuff from the library. You know, the way you tune things, maybe the way you play a little bit. Do you make make it human? I totally think it's I, I make it human. It's all it's a combination of me playing plus the sounds. Um, a lot of it goes, you know, there's more to it. And my approach is is I'm always thinking about what I am playing, how it how does it work in the context of all the instruments? I'm not just picking up a shaker. There's a reason I'm, I've always gone back to one of the things that I'm um, sort of finicky about is everything that I play has a reason. Yeah, has right. a reason rhythmically, sonically, um, you know, I try to be very particular about sounds and placements and how does it play against the mandolin or the acoustic or the vocal? How does it, right. you know, how does this, I never want something to just to stick out and be offensive or, um, it draws your attention away. Yeah, from the draws song your attention. Yeah, so I'm, right. I'm here for the for the for the sake of the music, and I want this to enhance the the music and the listener. So, yeah. and I'm that way live too. I mean, when I'm playing live shows, it's like, how does the audience? How does this affect the audience? And so I do the same thing when I'm making loops. It's like, how does this? How does this? you know sound in the track compared to the drums to the electric guitars or to the acoustic guitars or the keyboards yeah, right so yeah that was going to be one of my questions i was going to ask is how on a on a particular session you uh they're gonna it's a country song sure. so it doesn't have like written out uh, sure. song is here and there's going to be some a cymbal swell here and there's going to be a uh some uh stick clicks or something sure here. Um, how do you, what's your thought process on, and I think you may have just answered it for me, but, but if you could dive deeper into how, what's your thought process, you listen to the, are you listening to how it's going down, or are you listening to the demo, or how do you decide what to play on things like I am going to listen to the, I, I tell people, and, and, and I've done this even working on your records, it's, I, I say, I want to hear and know what the whole playing field is like. Tell me what's going to go on. Is it going to be raw? Is this track going to have an orchestra on it? Is there going to be big backgrounds? Because I take it all into account. I'm like, okay, this is going to be, if it's an acoustic unplugged version of one of your hits, then I don't need to play a lot of things. I always look yeah. at what's the end result going to be. Right. So like you want them to paint a picture for I you. I want to so paint. Yeah, you, you got. I'm going to communicate with you. Let's just flat out say, if I'm working on a, on a Lone Star acoustic version of amazed i'm going to go okay so what what's involved and what's the end result what is the end result going to sound like yeah and generally you guys are going to say hey we want to keep it really stripped down well that means that i need to think minimal too and so it's like my goal is to go how do i use as few instruments as possible to create energy the rhythm to work rhythm yeah, whatever right, and yeah. it might just be a shaker and a cajon it might be one conga it might be a brush 
So there's, I, I do a lot of asking, I've, lately I've been really trying to ask a lot of questions because I want to be real careful about what I do or don't play. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things like with, with Mac, when Mac and I go do shows. You talk about Mac McAnally, Mac McAnally, right? yeah. yeah. There's a lot of times I won't play until a second chorus. I'll just, because that's partly the energy. By you're, There's a lot of energy in not playing. Right. So when you do play, you're making a statement and you're going, oh, God, you know, this this yeah. matters. It all matters to me, you know. Yeah. Um, whether space, it's a symbol, space. space, space stuff, oh, yeah. my gosh, yeah. Waiting, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of times where I will take a track and go, I'm going to play shaker and tambourine from the top just because for no yeah. reason. That's what I'm going to do. That's a statement. There's a reason we are doing this. Or there's a reason why you as a drummer goes, I'm playing kick, snare, and hat for the whole song, and that's all I'm going to play. I'm not going to play cymbals, and that's it. And that's your statement for the song. Right. And that's your – and being confident and going, that's what I'm doing. That's, that's what my, the song needs. It doesn't need anything more needs. than that. Yeah, yeah. And there's sometimes the I will do that too and just going, I'm not going to play. And, and, and those that work with me know, especially in the last few years, it's like I'm, I joke about it. It's like I want to wait as long as I can to, to play something. Yeah. You know, because once, you know, and especially if it's a great song, I don't want to do anything that clutters up the song. Yeah. Or draws right. attention away from, a, from, a, from the song. You know, it, I just realized in my mind something that you – would have a different experience than most other musicians is that most people in Nashville, musicians, guitar player, drummer, bass player, whatever, they play in a lot of demos. Mm -hmm. But your field really to me in my mind is more of a like a like a like a master track. Right. Why would you put a bunch of money and time into percussion for a demo? You right. know? It seems right. like you just need kind of more basics. But well, you that's true. You're more like they would call you not for a demo so much, but I'm, I'm sure you've done some demos. Sure, but, sure. but it seems to me like you're the call for like, okay, we're going to make this record. This is going to be a, a master right. record, you know. I, you know, over the years I have been, I get a lot of calls. It's like we need you to. They call it sweetening. You know, we we want to. And again, going back to the cooking thing, yeah. we want you to put the spices. And I've then yeah, people will say true. that go, hey, we need some spices. We you know to help sell the song. Do your thing. Yeah. You know, we need this to be. You know, we need to put the ear candy. They they use that. Yeah. You know, right. or put the spices on, and 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 you know, sometimes it's not even just percussion. It could be another instrument. Like there's guys and gals that that will bring, you know, maybe an extra mandolin and a this or a that. You know, whatever yeah. instrument that is. But in the percussion world, there's a lot of things that I can pull on and draw on, um, or pull from and draw on that can that can take a song to a new level energy-wise, sound-wise. Um, so that's why I yeah. get the call. So when you're out on tour, um, your percussion setup, do you, how do you choose what to bring? Now, obviously with Jimmy Buffett, you've got marimbas or something. Sure. You go, bah, bah, uh -huh. I've got, the, I've got a marimba. It's and a there's like some kind of flute playing with the marimbas at the same time on the records. Yeah. I don't know if they still do Well, that we've got a trumpet player that takes care of that. Really? Is that right? But I do have a marimba. I use a mallet cat, so I can't yeah. take a marimba. An oh, actual okay. Marimba. Yeah. But it's I have electronic. samples. Yep. Yeah. I have an electronic, basically an electronic marimba. But and again, that's a, that's a prime example of um, it's an 11-piece band. So it's okay. a big band, three guitars, steel drum player that also plays percussion. Wow. So I have learned, you know, again, I, I'm very careful about what I do and don't play, you know. Yeah. And it's like, again, I'm happy to not have to play all the time. So when yeah. I do play, there's a real statement. You know, it's okay to, I joked with the guys, you know, you'll, 
you'll never get fired for not playing in the right. band. Yeah, that's you right. Know? And I'm not just saying with Jim, Jimmy's band, but there's a lot of bands. It's okay to not play. Yeah. It's okay to stand there and just be chill. And, and yeah. um, so that's, you know, I'm pretty particular about what I play and what I don't play on that, on that gig. Wow. So one of the questions I had going back to chart reading, this, I just want to mention this before I move on. How do, in my mind, this is my curiosity, how do you write a cymbal swell that's going to go shh like that? How's that written in the It's music? written with crescendo. It's actually a notation where you have a, a, a for example, if it's a, a whole measure or a half beat measure, then you write it as a half note. It shows and when it starts. It shows when it starts, it and there's a little crescendo. Off, it's, yeah. a, it's all note, notated. How would you notate a, a grab, like a swell and then a grab? You like would... Would Rather it, than having a ring out over the bar, you would actually have a, a, a cut-off choke. Yeah. It would, it it would, would have be across. It would be notated, yep. right. Wow, and wild. some guys will say, or some gals, guys that are orchestrating, will say choke. They really choke. will. They'll, they'll, they'll write say, it on there. Choke or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, old... Very specific. The, a really good orchestrator, especially in percussion, will be very detailed about, actually they'll say soft mallet, hard mallet, brushes. Really? Oh, yeah. The, the good orchestrators will be very specific. So myself as a percussionist and as a player, I can look at the music and see what's, you know, within a chart, I could pick up a soft mallet, hard mallet, sticks, and brushes in one piece. That's how specific they can be. They go, hey, we want little wire brushes here. We want soft mallets, like a yarn mallet here. And we want you to use a nylon tip stick for wow. here. And very so particular, they yeah. are very particular about it. Some and of them are. you have that in your kit when I've you go to the studio. It, yeah, I you show just up have it all. I, I remember it. you had like a box of goodies, basically. You are so you observant. Me, hey. You are so <laughs> you a, little that I know. You had a box of goodies, and I walked in there, and you were just kind of like, hmm, digging around. Right. <laughs> digging around well, your toy box. that goes back to what we were talking <laughs> about. When I listen to the track, I'm going, okay. You know, all the records that we worked on together early on, and you were there. And I'm it a little did you know what I'm talking to you, what I'm really doing is con I'm having a conversation with you and Dean and the producer and engineer, but I'm really thinking, I'm kind of multitasking because I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about the music and I'm going, okay, I hear the music, I hear all the electric guitars, I hear the keyboards, I hear the mandolins, and in my mind I'm thinking, what instruments go along with this? Right. That's why I've got... They won't take away from it, right? Yeah. They won't what's hit gonna, the same frequency. What's going to... Because you just can't pick up people joke with me I literally have a case of tambourines well it's because the same reason how many snare drums do you own uh, about 14 maybe there you or go. something like that so why yeah. why not just have one why would you just use one yeah exactly so you go well because maybe I I don't want that aggressive snare on a ballad or I don't want that dull sounding snare on a you know so if you've got a dull snare then maybe I need to have a dull tambourine that goes with it. Ah, see, yeah. So there's 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 sort of this I I I, I get in the weeds. I tell yeah. people I really am thinking about, you know, uh, for a long time I was doing records for Brad Paisley. Yeah. And a lot of what we played on Brad's records were not things that you would they would not stand out in the mix. They were all very little subtle things that I would play that would sit inside of the track. But if you took them away, you'd be like, wow, there's something's missing. Yeah. So I was very subtle, kind of sneaky in a way of, you know, the producer on those records wanted, he wanted rhythm, he wanted things to feel a certain ways, but he didn't want it to sound like, oh, there's a percussion overdub. Yeah. So there's an energy, there's a thing that I do and I've created 
is sort of like you don't know I'm there, but if you take it away, yeah. not just me, but percussion in general, you know, right. it, it, if, sure. if you take it away, you're like, gosh, something's missing. Yeah, right. So, so on uh, songs where they've already cut the track yep. and basically semi-mixed it or whatever, and they give it to you, do you feel more relaxed in that? Like, okay, now I've got the whole picture here versus when you're uh, laying down the track, the right. day of the, you right. know, with everybody in there trying to figure things out and it's kind of, you know, changes on the fly. Now let's change that chorus to a breakdown right. chorus. And uh, is it more stress there or is it more you feel more relaxed in an overdub situation where it's already laid out for you or the sound uh, I am I like I mean this is going to be so diplomatic but I actually like both um, the ultimate is to be there on the track and then have them send me the track when they're done with it oh what you do yeah I remember because I can be yeah. a big part of or a percussionist can be a big part of creating the track yeah because i remember uh, dean telling me one time when we were going to go with dean was producing uh, this thing and he said yeah we're going to get eric on the date and that meant to me that meant that he wants you there while we track on the date instead of like an overdub situation he found that very very useful and right and worth and 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 a lot of you know there's a lot of musicians that will come up to me when i'm in them for years i tracked i mean i was there on a lot of the records we did for for reba for gary allen for brooks and dunn uh, Kenny Chesney, I'm getting ready to go do a Kenny Chesney project. And, and same thing, they sort of want you there because you're part of the big picture. And other musicians will play off of you. You're like, oh, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm not going to, you know. And, and, and a good producer and artist will steer that. They'll go, okay, I know I want congas and, and shakers and all this stuff. Well, if that's the case, then the drummer is going to play less. Yeah, you know, right. if everybody's working, if, if all of a sudden there's two guitar players and two acoustic players and a keyboard player, then everybody's going to go, okay, well, here's, this is what's going, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. So then it changes the way everybody approaches it. Yeah. Do you uh, enjoy, I know this is a stupid, the rhetorical question, but do you, is there a pleasure you find in playing with Paul Lyme? Oh, my gosh. Paul's Paul one Lime. of my favorite drummers. I mean, he's such a technician. He is. It's got to be such a pleasure. One of the most well-versed drummers in, in, in the world. When you think about his, his discography and what he's done, yeah. I mean, this is a guy who can literally go from playing rock and roll to big band to combo jazz to reading a film date. I mean, yeah. how many guys do you know? That can guys or gals that can have that diversity. I mean, and he they can, have been doing it for decades, yeah, like yeah. he has. I mean, you know? my, and he's and great, still again, doing it. He's still doing it. He was on my podcast of uh, oh uh, last year. Last year, yeah, he was, he was I one mean, of my first I, people. I just you know, and and again, he's a great guy to work with. He's extremely articulate, really musical. You know, yeah. I mean, so when I look at somebody like that, I go, wow, he is. You know, um, the, like again, the diversity is is. To, amazing to me yeah so years ago i was watching a concert an eric clapton concert and i saw uh what was that percussion's name ray Ray cooper ray cooper i was watching ray cooper with the headed tambourine and they had the camera on him i guess the camera loves him because well he's he's so theatrical when he plays he's great but he's also theatrical he's a very like your eye line goes right to him every time he's a big tall guy Uh and he he just plays the tambourine a lot i mean he plays everything but i mean usually see him on the tambourine and he was playing that headed tambourine and with his fingers uh, out, and uh-huh. he was snapping that with his with the tips of his fingers, all five fingers, and he was locked into that snare. Yeah. Like I've never seen. It was like he had a 
some kind of wire going to sure. him or something, and he oh, yeah. never missed a snare beat. He never flammed it. It was always right on. Right. Do you feel that same Absolutely. pleasure when you when you do do that? Do you have a technique? Well, we I do have a technique. I I I would like to use the phrase, and we all use the phrase, that internal clock. Yeah. You sort of just and and I've learned it's. You know, I've worked with a lot of different drummers over the years. And guitar, but, you know, every musician that I work with, you sort of know where their internal clock is. Like, are they, do they lay back on the backbeat? They or lay they on back top of or it they're or... on top or they, you know, yeah. whether it's Paul Lyme or Lonnie Wilson or Tommy Harden or you, you just sort of learn how to go with the flow, yeah. you know, and that internal feel of, of uh, you know, what I, I call it getting inside of it. You yeah. know, getting inside of, of this whole thing. And, yeah. and a lot of times I'll, um, whether I'm playing shaker, tambourine, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's, it's getting inside the music, getting inside their internal clock. And so, um, and Ray's an amazing musician, a great percussionist. And he too is, is, you know, he plays everything. He plays orchestral percussion as well. Yeah. So. You know, Paul Lime had a, a term that he used. He said, when someone wants the wet fish, Backbeat. It's like you're holding a wet fish, a dead fish, or dead fish. I think is what he called it. You're holding a dead fish in your left hand, and it's just like that much behind the beat. Yes. And and so that would be have to be something that you would. Okay, that's what we're doing. All yeah, and 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 I'm and this sounds. I'm just going to be honest. It's like the more you do it, and when it's a part of of what you do, you just you just learn to go with that. You learn. You go. You you have to again. Be really quickly aware of okay this is where this is going this is how the track is leaning we use the word is it leaning back Lean, is it leaning ah, forward see, is it is it you know um and that's part of my job all of our job is to sort of get inside of it and go okay so where this is this is how this is going to be yeah that's always been my toughest thing because when i came to nashville i wasn't a session guy at all right. i just played live i was with the group canyon who mac mackinelli we were oh, talking about played sure. on our first okay. couple records that's when i first got to know him and uh uh i just um i wasn't a session guy and the hardest thing for me to learn was these changes on the fly when you with yes. me in my mind i'm a live guy you work up the song you say okay this sure. is the way it's going to be now and you play it that same way every time in the studio however as you know it's like you know what let's change this to and you got your pencil and your eraser let's change that chorus to a double chorus and let's uh, do the tag again at the uh, you know double the intro and it's just like all these changes i just couldn't my brain right 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 but that's you know again coming back to is there a right or wrong if we're looking at art and if we're looking at creative things is there a right or wrong way right yeah. And my answer is whoever the producer is, no. that's the right. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like looking at an artist painting something, yeah. you know, or or develop, you know, whether it's a designer designing um, clothes. I, I I tend to have a pretty open mind when it comes to why are there rules. Now there are times where you go, yeah, you got to come in and knock this out, and you got to think fast and get it done, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but there are times too where you know I've spent a day on a song. Literally 10, 12 hours working a song up, making changes, changing the tempo, changing the arrangement. And you just kind of go, okay, well, this is how we're going to do it. But I've also spent time, you know, um, playing a song, rehearsing it once, cutting it, and that's the track. You know, I can't tell you, you know, um, uh, when I was tracking records for like Reba or Brooks and Dunn or Gary Allen, we would get the song, listen to it. Rehearse it once, make a couple of changes, record it, and that was, you know, six, seven weeks later, it was on the radio. Yeah, Done. The and doing great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and yet, 
you know, I've also been a part of those same records where you go, we're going to take our time. We are going to circle the wagon a couple times. And so I don't think there's, I mean, whether, I don't think there's a wrong way to approach it. Right. You know, and if it takes more time for a, a player, there's certain players, not even in drums, but there's certain players that you just go, they're, you know, they're not going to be rushed through something. And that's yeah. okay. That's not a problem with that. Yeah, there's a reason why you hire those people. There's a reason you want them, you know, just like there's also times you don't want somebody who works really really fast because sometimes they'll just blow through it and you won't get the good stuff. Yeah, you get the feeling like they just want to get out of here. Yeah, I just want to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I have a technical question for you. I've got a tambourine here. And uh, one of the cool effects that I remember always hearing on records was that sort of shake and stop thing. Uh And I never really knew how i mean i kind of imagine in my mind how it's done that you would shake it and smack it like that you just that. did it but but when you do it no it, it's uh, you know of course you've done it a billion times but could you do it for me sure. real quick and so so he's holding well the you tambourine. just did it but but a lot of it has to do with with what i do especially in the studio is is i'll start and i will i mean you can do it right you know if i'm standing right here by, by the microphone it's oh i see yeah so you can oh i see it's like dynamic but a lot of times what I'll do on a track, I think I, even if I remember working on some of the ones, I would start really low and kind of work what they call working the microphone, you know. Okay. So yeah. I would let the, so the tambourine comes really low and it just comes up. Ah, okay. So proximity-wise, you're just the getting proximity, closer to the but mic I can also go this way. I can, oh, I, I see. Can flip it over you turned it flat and it shuts off the, the ring. Now they ring a little bit. So straight up and down, right. they ring, turn it sideways, they, they, they stop. And, 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 and truth be told, every tambourine responds differently. Yeah, that's true. So some tambourines are going to ring longer. Some, you know, this is a good one. This is. Yeah, I like the, 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 the what do you call those little symbols yeah, in there? It's Dean, so I'm going to take it. I'm just going to take this with <laughs> me. And you I'll, can tell him. Bill Dean, I'll tell Dean that you took it. That's right. Cool. Wow, that's awesome. Um, I saw Lonnie Wilson one time um, playing with, he, he took two tambourines and sure. duct taped them together. Yep. And he had said that the reason why he did that was because uh, they made him play a pass of each one because they had different tech, uh, textures. And so we thought to save time, he just duct taped them together and play them at the oh, same time. Oh, funny. So but there you go. There's a prime example of what I'm talking about earlier about the textures, about yeah. the tambourines going Darker, lighter, darker, lighter. The song, you know. has the snare sound. Do, do you sure. really kind of go by the snare as to deciding what tambourine I sound? I go by everything. I go the snare, the acoustics, the electrics. Why it needs to be bright or sure. dark? Yeah. Because if I've got two electrics, if you've got two electrics, a mandolin and a, a, a nylon, you've yeah. got four textures and a hi-hat. That's a lot of information in the same register. Wow. So my, my thought is, okay, so what... They want the energy of a tambourine or a shaker, but they don't want to take away from anything else. Hmm. Yeah, I get that. So, well, that's cool. So, um, you have been out with Alabama for a little while, uh, is that right? Tommy Harden was out with Alabama. Oh, I'm out with Jimmy Buffett. Right. Okay, Jimmy Buffett. So, and uh, I think did you say you knew some of the guys from Alabama or something? Well, I know. You know, Tommy Harden plays drums. Gordon Moat. Is the keyboard That's player? That's what you were talking Gordon. about, Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Gordon he, has he been played playing some, some other stuff. Oh yeah, Gordon. Great guy. Yeah. I brought him coffee one time, and he told me that I made the Christmas card list. So oh, I brought gosh. him. Wow. 
because he was good to know. I he didn't, didn't ask know. for the coffee, but we were talking about coffee. And he was talking about how he, he was a French press kind of guy, and his oh. wife always made this French press thing. Okay. So I thought I'm gonna go make him a cup of coffee. So I made yeah. him and I brought it to him, and he thought he said, "Keach, that is you are such a lifesaver because you you just made the Christmas card list." Wow, <laughs> I didn't know that's what you had to do. That's good to know. Thank yeah. you. Bring Gordon Moat some coffee. Bring Gordon, now, Gordon Moat. Moat. If for those who don't know, he is a blind piano player, session guy here in. Na- is he still in Nashville? He's still that, in Nashville. I, I just talked to him this forever. this morning. Yep. Very very sweet guy. Very religious. Very uh, very faithful. Uh, amazing person and great piano player. Yeah. He's a good guy to know. Love him. Speaking of people, uh, I have a little story to tell you that Mac McAnally told me one time. Okay. Tell me if he's told you the same story about the possums. Uh, it tells you that. So he was trying to tell us how sort of honest he was. And his grandfather was sitting on the porch one day, and he said, you know, Mac McAnally, he was trying to talk about how he was brought up and how honesty was sure. just a big thing. And um, then down in Mississippi, and his grandfather said, I'll give you a dollar if you can run around all the way around the house and come back without thinking about possums. And so okay. he did it. He ran around. He was just a kid. He ran around and came back, and he look all deflated and he said what's wrong he said i thought about possums <laughs> so yeah no, that's, that's how that, honest of a guy that's that i think i'm professor way and that is true he is that way that's yeah but uh so anyway um we all like mac mac, mac mcanelli absolutely great writer a great singer a great everything and so you're out with him you're doing I, shows we do him. shows we just he and i we we um we work with jimmy and and mac and mick um Mike Utley are the kind of the co-music directors for Jimmy, but Mac being the acoustic guitar player and he's written some songs, he ends up sort of uh, taking the lead as far as the band leader role. But um, he and I started to go, he invited me to play with him one day. He said, hey, come, come play a show. I've got a little, you know, club date down in Florida. Just come, come hang out. And, and we just hit it you know we we've been hanging out on the buffett gig but then this we did this show and his booking agent and manager happened to be there and they're like man this is this is kind of cool you know and and let's do another one and so that was about five or six years ago and so for the last four or five years we've been doing 25 30 shows just you and just Matt, he and i no and other you do look like a cajon or something well like that. that's now i'm getting back into my drum set thing now oh, i've kind of okay. come full circle i have a hybrid kit I use a suitcase as a kick drum. Oh, I have cool. a little crazy little kick drum. I have a I have a, a suitcase for a kick, and then I have this little snare drum. I have a cajon, uh, little hand drums, and depends so on it, the song, it really, depends mostly, on yeah. the song. And, and but truth be told, every song sort of has a different flavor. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not playing cajon all night. I'm not playing. So it it. And I can see why that show would be fantastic oh, it's because really you fun. don't know what you're going to get. You from don't song to know song. what you're going to get. Yeah. And he brings out a bunch of different instruments. And so really, it's just he and I. And what started out as a cajon and a tambourine, now it's like a full, you know, suburban truckload of, of wow. you know, he brings a bunch of guitars. I bring a bunch of percussion and it's and it's fun. Do you, on those gigs, do you set up yourself, or do you have, I a, do you have a guy? Set, I know. We do. You don't have a guy. <laughs> we do it all. We, <laughs> oh, wow. we, it's so funny, because we go from the Buffett tour, which we're very blessed to have folks set up our gear. And and um, so we literally will go from a Saturday night, Saturday day, where literally we show up, have somebody set up our gear, you know, just do sound check, do, do the show. And then the next, the next day on a Sunday, we're loading up our own gear, setting up our own gear, tearing down our own gear. It's, you know, 
cool. It's a nine-hour day of doing our own stuff, but it's fun. It, you know, how long is the it. Mac McAnally show? Two hours. Two, two hours. Two hours of Jimmy all of Buffett's his music. What? Two hours. Oh, it's two hours yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mac is- ninety minutes to two hours, but Jimmy's always two to two fifteen. That is very cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I love Mac McAnally. He's such a great. He played uh, guitar acoustic guitar on our first the canyon when i was with oh, canyon on our yeah. first couple records and yeah. he was the session leader for what i remember he was the you know every session has to have like somebody designated as the session leader sure and he always was for some reason. he did yeah. wrote all the charts out and he, he's a good one yeah yeah that was super fun so what's um what's in the future just more of the same more of the well Buffett i just stuff? i've got uh like i said i've got a kenny chesney record there's another um, i think paul lime will be playing on that if i remember right Doesn't i play think so kenny kenny does a lot of the yeah. kenny records it just depends i think it just depends what the record is and the songs are who the um, producer is probably right a little bit, yeah. and then there's a new country artist that i'm supposed to be working on a guy named i think his name is uh zach ryan is his name okay uh kind of a new uh new artist that's coming up and i've been working with him um i just believe it or not finished a, a record with megadeth the, the metal did yeah i did a megadeth record i've done two or three of those and they asked me was dan huff involved no dan oh, wasn't he was no like, uh, it was uh just dave mustaine and and, and we right. did it virtual i mean we basically we would do zoom calls and we would talk, and then he would send me the tracks, and I'd work on them, work on them at my studio, and and so from Megadeth to Jimmy Buffett, from wow, Megadeth a... to Gaither Vocal Band to Kenny Chesney <laughs> to uh, Lone Star to you know it, wow. that's that's the day in the life of what I do, and then, and um, and I'm also working on I'm trying to get some writing together. I do a lot of instrumental tracks for TV and film Podcasts and some and things yeah, like whatever. so yeah. I'm trying to I've get that, that stuff. yeah, it's fun, and so um you know. I wake up every day, there's something new, and I, I've always loved that. So how do you, on congas, how do you keep your hands from getting worn out? <laughs> I don't play hard. You I don't, don't, oh, I don't play, play the instrument hard. Because it seems to me when I try to play congas and I hit that pop, that, that, that right. it hurts my hand. Well, <laughs> yeah, do, get if you're not used that. to it, but I've yeah. learned, I, I've just as a player in general, I'm not a hard player. I don't yeah. play, I'm not, an aggre- like I, you know, I'm not an aggressive hard player. Yeah. Um, like the Spirogyra guy? Yeah, remember exactly. Him? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> oh, but there are certain Congaro players or, or percussionists that, that by nature, they just play hard, yeah. you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And calluses just, and whatever. Yeah, yeah, and I just have never, I, I play, and a lot of it, I think, is because in the studio, you don't have to play. You don't, yeah, you don't have right. to play. The mics pick it the up. The mics and, pick, yeah. pick it up. And by nature, I don't play hard, and I've just never played Congas. So my, I mean, people will say that. They'll, they'll shake my hand. They'll be like, oh, my gosh, your hands are so are so soft and smooth and a lot of it is just because i i just don't play hard yeah so. you don't need to right no thankfully they say can you play harder and you say can you turn the mic up exactly and and <laughs> even during the live shows with jimmy i i you know um i don't play loud yeah i do develop some calluses and and depending on where we are playing you know sometimes i'll get you know they'll get dried out and i'll get some some little splinters here and there but overall they've they've uh, survived that's very cool yeah so um, just more of the same for you in the future? Are you gonna start? I think we're going to tour. I know we're going to tour. I, this is sort of the last week that I have to, to kind of stay, you know, somewhat normal. We're going to be rehearsing and touring and starting in April. So Mac and I just finished a run of shows. Got another couple of shows coming up here, and then we start rehearsals with Jimmy in April. And basically through the end of the year, we've got shows throughout. So I'll be doing Jimmy shows, Mac shows. Um, 
Skip Ewing. Do you remember Skip Ewing? Yeah, Skip Ewing. I've been working some with him, and, and he's talking about wanting to do a few shows. So he's asked me if I'd be interested in if I can work out the schedule with him. Wow. Uh, I'll maybe go do a couple of shows with him. And um, and then sessions, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I guess um, if uh, you know if they want the best, they call Eric Darkin. Oh, so they're well, going to have to wait. If they're on tour, they're just going to have to they're gonna have to wait. Or whatever. Yeah, they gonna have send to wait. me a track, and and, <laughs> and I'll be more than happy to uh, to do what I do. Yeah, yeah. I've heard. I've not seen it, but I've heard that your your studio used to be basement studio. Now upstairs studio is freaking awesome. It's a big room full of a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. Um, it's it's pretty much surrounded. I've got a bunch of microphones and a bunch of instruments, and I just just run it through Pro Tools. And I just run it through and, and hope it all works. That's wow. that's. Oh, what I know it. one question I wanted to ask you before we before we leave um, is that like back in the day, uh, how did your thought process go from when it was tape, which you were had a limited amount of tracks? I'm sure right. you, the percussionist, you know, they had drums and vocals and all that stuff. So there were probably allotted maybe just a couple of tracks for percussion to Pro Tools, where it's like you just you know, right. as many as you want. Right. How did your um, How did you go about? The you change? had well. That, that's a great question because you had to. You know, we've got two two tracks or one track or right. whatever. Or, yeah. Then you had to. You had to decide had to which make one it, work. it was going to be. Absolutely, right? you had to go. The this is the rules. This is how you know. So sort of a a, a rule book when you're on 24 or 32, 48 inch, uh, 48 track. Those are the rules. We got yeah. two tracks. Make it work. Yeah. Right. You know. So you were forced then to go. Okay. This is how we got to do so it. So would you ever do something like where you needed tambourine and congas? Would you try to do them on the same, like play the congas sure. and smack the tambourine sure. with the And you adjust them, sure. You adjust yeah. the microphone. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. And then you learn. You know, that's the one thing about, too, about all the years you learn as a, as a musician, we've had to learn to be engineers. Yeah. You know, right. you now, you know, we all have studios in our house. So you now, can almost prefer which mic you want when you right. go to the recording oh, studio. Yeah. You can oh, say, gosh, oh, give yeah. me that, that, you know, that... Uh, you you've you've U47, U47 or whatever oh yeah you've we've all had to learn you know i started working at home with the adats you yeah, know right. back in the adat age so i the whole concept of hey you got to learn how to mic you got to learn how to mm-hmm. you know eq and all eq that stuff, all yeah. that you know and and so um that's not a bad thing. I yeah. think you know when I when I go to the studio, I've, I've I've learned so much recording at home now that I I can sort of cut to the chase and go, man, I think you should try this microphone would work good just yeah. based on my experiences. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. So, well, so good to have you here. It's great man. to be I've here. Been Thank you to talk for, to you forever, and I'm glad we finally worked. I'm glad it out. we did too. And Thank you for try to including me on all your records too. Absolutely, My honor. God. Very it's much of an so honor. To be I always a part learn of so much whenever I talk to you and see you in the studio. And, we have you on a session. We will so continue much. to learn and grow and make great music. That's right. Yes. Here in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, this has been Keach Rainwater and Eric Darkin here on Designated Drummer. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you.